Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive, and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper, and I'm so grateful you're here. Hello, dear ones. How on earth are you? <laughs> that actually feels like such a loaded question these days. And in most places, it does not get an honest answer anyway. But it's interesting, though, because I've been finding in general that people seem less likely to respond with the obligatory good thanks and more willing to mix it up a little with surviving thanks. You know? <laughs> Or my personal fave, which is, I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I've always just thought that the whole, how are you? Good. Um, interaction was, I don't know, it's just, it's really quite bizarre. But I like to think that the more we're able to admit to a sense of feeling lost or unsure in those kind of normal interactions or responding truthfully, you know, to questions around how are you, what's, you know, what's happening for you, the more hope we have in developing honest connections and finding avenues of support that appreciate vulnerability, you know, in ways that break down cultural barriers to well-being because we're not very, yeah, we, anyway, <laughs> After that little tangent, welcome. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you back for episode three of the Sensualchemy School podcast. And today we're going deeper beyond the previous two episodes into how we perceive the grief and pleasure relationship here at Sensualchemy School. So if you haven't already, you'll want to go back and listen to the first episode where I essentially give you the lay of the sensualchemy land, lifting the veil on grief and feminine leadership. Why, particularly if you are a woman who works with other women in the healing and helping professions, if you work with bodies and minds, if you're in a position of leadership or you have aspirations for change, I believe it's your fundamental responsibility to become grief literate. Because particularly as this time in history has illuminated, no one is spared loss and grief. No one escapes it. And in episode two, I get super personal and share with you my own complex history of loss and the pleasure medicine that I rely on to sustain my aliveness and sense of purpose. So please go and check out those two episodes if you want a little more backstory to what we're talking about here. But today I wanted to dig in a little more around these two human states that we might immediately consider to be on different ends of an embodied spectrum, grief and pleasure. 
I've become used to perceiving grief and pleasure almost like a dance within me, a tango, if you will. (laughs) You know, one might be taking the lead in one dance and then they'll swap and the other will be dipping and spinning. And this is just the ebb and flow of embodied awareness when I've scratched the surface as to what's happening in me. I also want to share with you why I believe that as women, when we're able to cultivate a deeply honest relationship to both grief and pleasure and develop the skills to lean into them, allow them to be transmuted through expression and creativity, we can significantly open up our capacity to love, lead and make sustainable shifts towards positive cultural change. Now, this conversation is going to come from two angles. And the first angle is relating to pleasure through the lens of grief. The next angle will relate to grief through the lens of pleasure. And these are important distinctions to make because they will help you understand the reciprocal nature of embodied grief and pleasure and how we can support our own healing through intentional explorations and practice of these human states. But what needs to come first for me is to become really clear about what I'm talking about when I speak to the concept of pleasure. This word is exceptionally loaded. And if you're anything like me, you can relate to having a complex relationship with it. Due to our cultural programming, you may have an immediate response to the word pleasure. You may have sexual imagery flash into your mind, and that might feel welcome or it might not. You might feel a sense of discomfort and ickiness that translates as pressure, obligation, shame, or perhaps a longing or a yearning or curiosity. And thanks to advertising and cultural messaging, many of us will immediately link the notion of pleasure with sex. But more specifically, our internal relationship with pleasure is often tainted with implicit criteria around things like who gets to give and receive pleasure, who deserves pleasure, who owes who pleasure, who takes pleasure and who gets to own their own pleasure. So, The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines pleasure in a number of ways that I appreciate more than other definitions I've found. So where I love pleasure defined as a state of sensual gratification and a source of delight or joy, my favorite definition of pleasure that I've come across here in this dictionary is desire and inclination. So let's break that down. Desire is defined as a conscious impulse towards something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction in its attainment. And inclination is defined as a person's natural tendency 
or urge to act or feel in a particular way. And I love this because there is nothing here that explicitly references sex. The act that we've been taught is the benchmark for human pleasure ultimately. And this definition strips it right back to understanding pleasure as a natural impulse that moves us towards what simply feels good and brings joy. Now, of course, amazing sex, however that is defined by the individual, is inherently pleasurable or it should be, right? Yet for many, many women, sex has been coupled with countless human emotional and physical states that do not easily set the stage for pleasure. States like fear, guilt, shame, duty and responsibility, unsafety, emotional disconnection, physical pain and discomfort. These are just some of the ways our natural impulses towards feeling good can be stifled in the context of sex. So my point here is that much of the work around female pleasure is actually to do with peeling back the cultural messaging that's thickly layered on top of the actual meaning. It's about coming home to the essence, the most simple core of what pleasure is to you as an adult woman and that it is not something that can unfold through an intellectual process. And we can only come home to our own pleasure preferences, our own desire impulses and natural tendency to orient to joy when our body is on board. And oftentimes this involves a slow gentle, steady process of gradually reawakening our senses in contexts that have absolutely nothing to do with sexual pleasure or arousal. Now, it's in this developing a new relationship to pleasure through embodied intimacy that our little friend grief may rear its head. And I've had more experiences than I can count where I've been dancing or receiving body work, even witnessing a moment of exquisite natural beauty or in deep connected conversation, really any experience in which my heart and body feel safe and receptive to pleasure and joy. And all of a sudden I'm overcome by a wave of sadness and grief. And not necessarily fresh grief or grief that even makes sense to me. Sometimes this feels like a subterranean sorrow that I can't name or place, but that has found a way to move through me while I'm being sourced by pleasure and able to hold it. And it amazes me in those moments how genius our bodies are, how intrinsically linked our emotional states are, even when one second we're grinning and feeling sensual and buzzing with the energy of possibility, and then the next second, bam, all this grief surfaces. 
And despite this not always feeling welcome, right, I truly believe that if we can become really skilled at noticing the edges of our grief before it moves in in full force and we can build our capacity to meet it and move with it, our pleasure can provide an incredible support within our system. And this is the genius of our body. It knows when we are feeling resourced enough to engage with the bigness of our grief. A number of years ago, I remember receiving uh, a a series, I guess, of internal bodywork sessions by an incredible practitioner who is also a brilliant midwife and just one of the most tuned in embodied women I know. And I remember during the first session, which remains one of the most healing and empowering things I have ever done, feeling in such a profound state of bliss and pleasure. Yet it was when she asked for my explicit consent before moving into the next phase of the massage that I just dissolved into floods and floods of tears. And I remember the overwhelming grief that was triggered in me by the knowing that my adult body had never experienced such deep reverence and tender, devoted care by another human who didn't want anything from my body in return and who would only move forward with my fully expressed consent. And I think it's really important to acknowledge the great potential for healing in these moments when our body recognizes what we've lost in relation to our pleasure. The moments in pleasure when our body receives something that in the past has been lost or taken from us. Our autonomy, our power, our confidence our self-respect, whatever it was. These can be extraordinary times of pleasure reclamation and whilst also bringing us closer to our grief. Okay, so now I want to switch gears and speak more precisely to grief through the lens of pleasure. And this might feel confusing at first because generally I imagine when you're overcome with grief or your life feels thick and heavy with sorrow, pleasure is probably not even close to being on your radar. And this is kind of where we're at right now and have been for the last couple of years of living through the COVID pandemic, not to mention what feels like an endless stream of traumatic events, war atrocities, climate crisis. On top of that, you know, it's constant and it can feel crippling. If you're the kind of person who can't simply, you know, just put your head in the sand and push on, if if you're a highly sensitive or empathic person, then vicarious trauma and grief that can permeate your system to the point that your ability to see possibilities moving forward 
be mobilized towards or even hold out hope for change can be severely impacted. And I'll speak more specifically about the benefits of the sensual alchemy, grief and pleasure embodiment work for those in the healing and helping professions in future episodes. But for today, I just wanted to speak to the clear evidence that we now have in favor of somatic pleasure-oriented healing methods in a culture that is still very much centered around cognitive treatment modalities that focus on pain and dysfunction or at best focuses on finding intellectual solutions to perceived problems. And at Sensual Alchemy School, I approach grief work through a number of what I found to be complementary approaches that honour the innate healing ability of every human being. And I'm particularly interested in both body-centred and creative approaches to making space for grief, to move in, and move out organically with connection and awareness. Now, if you're interested in my educational background and training, I hold a double degree in drama and education, a master of psychotherapy and counseling, and I'm a certified feminine embodiment coach with the School of Embodied Arts. And over the past five years or so, my most significant teachers, mentors, and professional influences have been a real mixture of researchers, therapists, and practitioners of embodiment, somatic trauma healing, attachment, neuroscience, and nervous system functioning, intimacy and eroticism, as well as drama, dance, and the creative arts. And also, I can't forget to mention the feminist scholars and pleasure activists that have been at the forefront of the embodied liberation movement like Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks and more recently, Adrienne Marie Brown. And all these influences on me and my learning have opened so many channels that I believe can bring us closer to ourselves and one another, our joy and our fullness of expression. So I'll, I'll actually go ahead and link to some of the pioneers of each of these fields I've mentioned and some of my direct teachers and mentors in the show notes so you can get more of an idea of the lineage that informs the work here at the School of Embodied Grief and Pleasure. All right, so excuse me for deviating a little there, but I just wanted to share that although for some of you the idea of pleasure being an approach to grief support may feel really out of left field... <laughs> Yet, when we consider our grief and its accompanying emotions through the lens of neuroscience, movement science, and the arts, we begin to understand how trauma-informed movement, mindfulness, and expressive practices can help us withstand our grief and even learn to relate to our grief as an ally in service to our joy. Now, I hope that you can begin to see that there are many threads to this vastly unique relationship between grief and pleasure. And ultimately, for every woman, the nuances of this relationship will have developed depending on so many factors from the ways you've been taught and modeled what pleasure is and who has a right to it, the shame and loss that you may be carrying as a result of these internalized messages and the ways they've played out in your sense of self and in your intimate relationships. And alongside that, whether or not you felt supported and empowered 
to navigate your own unique experiences of loss in your life, whether that be the death of loved ones, a divorce or a breakup, health diagnosis, chronic illness, major relocation or career change, you know, whatever your own personal situation of loss, how have you learned what is acceptable and unacceptable as you move through the world on your own path of grief? We'll absolutely be digging into this exact topic in future episodes as well, but just being aware of how you have interpreted the ways your grief was either allowed, in inverted commas, to be expressed as normal, also in inverted commas, and how quite possibly some of the ways that your body desired to express and allow grief to move through weren't on it or taken seriously from you or perhaps others. Okay. All right, my loves, some big stuff in today's episode. So I just want to thank you for sticking with me and let's just keep this conversation going. So come and find me over on Instagram at kate.leeper and send me a DM if something about this grief, pleasure and feminine leadership connection has landed with you. And if you haven't yet received your special thanks for supporting the podcast gift yet, then head over to my stunning, I mean, stunning new website at kateleeper.com. It is so beautiful where you can access the sweet nectar or an audio experience I made for you called Beheld and Behold. And this experience takes you into an embodied exploration of the ache within you. And I promise you by the end of the 25 minutes, you'll have met your loss and longing in very new ways. And it's going to feel amazing. I'll also drop this in the show notes for easy access too. Okay, dear ones, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leeper. I'd love to hear from you.